We're resuming in Ephesians 5 tonight, marriage in the church. The next section in Ephesians, we're break, we've been breaking this down in sections as we've gone, is all about submission. Now, a couple weeks ago, we read, we looked at the first half of Ephesians 5. I want to read this transition again. Ephesians 5, verse 15. Look carefully how you walk, not as wise, unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time, because the days are evil. Do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Do not get drunk with wine, for that's debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, uh, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord. Lord Jesus Christ. And then this last line here, which really is the summation of the previous six verses, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. The next section is going to be about submission, submitting to one another. He's going to talk about marriage. He's going to talk about children. He's going to talk about of course, slaves and masters, we think about it in employee terms, although there's people in the world today are slaves, but uh, slave or slaves and masters is going to be sort of the, the third section of this. And so of these practical relational matters of submission, the first is marriage. Now we briefly, uh, we briefly looked at this, man, when was that? I don't even know. In our, it was probably a couple months ago on Sunday morning. If you want to go back and look through the archives on Sunday mornings, we talked about, oh yeah, we talked about biblical womanhood and biblical manhood and biblical relationships. We did that in our Sunday morning series. We did not really dive into the marriage relationship in a very specific way. Rather, we talked about men's responsibility and then women's responsibility. But Ephesians 5, of course, this section of the text is about the marriage relationship. And again, I want to be clear about this. The next three sections of the text are about this submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. That is the overall umbrella idea as we talk about marriage, as we talk about parenting, as we talk about slaves and masters, is this idea of submitting to one another. So it's no surprise, Ephesians 5.22. Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. We're going to read this whole section and then we'll break it down. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. The husband is the head of the wife as, the, as Christ is the head of the church, his body and is himself its savior. As the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing that she might be holy and without blemish. He's talking really a lot about what Christ did. That's going to be relevant. Uh, in the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. Can I hear an Amen. Amen. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes it and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore, and this is quoting uh, Genesis, way back when, right? At the very beginning. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound. It is a profound mystery. And he's talked about mystery before, right? The secret hidden knowledge, the, the knowledge that requires some initiation in, earlier in Ephesians. This mystery is profound. I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, and it's interesting, we go through all of this stuff about the marriage relationship and about what Christ did. And at the end of it, he says, my main point is it's about Christ and the church. However, 
you know, I am talking about husbands and wives, so let's give you some application. Let each one of you love his wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. It's clear in the text that Paul is really wanting to drive at the metaphor of Christ and the church. And then there is application for the husband and wife as well. And at the heart of this marriage relationship, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say this in parentheses, but it's going to be an over, overriding theme throughout this lesson. At the heart of the marriage relationship, as in all Christian relationships, is the tension between authority and responsibility. Exemplified, we'll talk about this in a minute, exemplified by Christ himself. The tension, authority and responsibility. Things get out of whack when that balance is not struck. The balance between the authority that parties have in relationships and the responsibility that comes along with that authority. That's at the heart of this. And it's why he spent so much time talking about the husband's responsibility. And again, we're thinking about the ex uh, example of Christ in this. Ephesians 5.31, that's what he's referring to here, right? Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church, first and foremost, he's discussing how Christ relates to us. He says it in Philippians 2 this way. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Practical relational advice, right? Not just for marriage, but any relationship. But he relates this again back to why are we doing this? Because that's who Christ was. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. And he goes on in, in some ways in Philippians 2 there. Tension between authority and responsibility, exemplified by Christ. Who had how much authority? All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. That's what he says, right? All authority. And yet he took responsibility. That's the point of the text in Ephesians 5. He took responsibility for us. Not using his authority for himself, but using it for the benefit of his bride, of the church. And we think about the general relational advice in Philippians 2, not husbands and wives, but anybody. Look not to your own interests, but the interests of others. So what does this look like in the marriage relationship? In Ephesians 5, okay, let's talk about the wife first. Ephesians 5, 22 through 24. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body and is himself its savior. As the church submits to Christ, also wives submit in everything to their husbands. He says it towards the end as he sort of sums it up here. Ephesians 5.33, however, let each one of you love his wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. There are two ways to think about this. And I think part of our problem in... Where things go wrong in the way that we think about marriage, the way our society thinks about marriage, culture thinks about marriage, is we sort of get this a little bit confused. There's the practical way of thinking about this. What does submission and respect look like in a practical way? But there's also the philosophical or emotional way of looking at this. And when it comes down to, you think about a practical level, men, think about this for a minute. What percentage of household decisions do you make in a day? What to eat? what the kids are doing, what, what goes on at the house, right? How many of those decisions, men, are you making? I suspect 
It's a, min a, a, a minority. You are not making most of those decisions on a day-to-day -day basis. You're just not, right? Most, I, I shouldn't say that. I'm sure there are some relationships where that's not the case, but traditionally they're not. Why? Because in tradition, traditional society, the man goes to work, he's doing all the things at work, the house does, doesn't just vanish when the husband's at work. Stuff has to happen still, right? Things still have to get done. Things still have to be, be planned for and decided upon, and all of the things have to be put in order. Who's doing that? Well, again, traditionally, not so much in society today because there's a lot of double working families. Traditionally, of course, it was the women who was doing that. Not all the time, but again, traditionally. And in your relationships, think about, again, men and women, husbands specifically, what percentage of decisions are you making on a day-to-day -day basis? I'm going to guess for the, the normal range is going to be somewhere between 20 and 40%. Not the majority. We think about what about the big decisions. And here's where we, again, we kind of get a little bit confused about things. The big decisions. Where to live, where to go to church. Now, most of the time, again, if we're thinking about this model of marriage in here, in this text we'd think maybe that's what the men are deciding, right? They're not deciding what's for dinner. They're not deciding where to go grocery shopping. They're not deciding the kids' day-to-day -day activities, but maybe the big decisions, right? Where are we gonna go to church? Where are we gonna live? What, is, what, is, what are some of these big things? What about schooling our children? Where are they gonna go to school? So maybe you're thinking, okay, submission, that, that's what that means. Well, there's some difficulty with that too. Most of the time, submission is more emotional than practical. Women are still making many, if not most, of the day-to-day -day decisions. But a wife can demonstrate lack of submission in how we relate to each other, right? How, we, how she talks about her husband, how she treats her husband. That's where this really becomes, in a practical level, a problem. In the way that a wife talks about her husband and treats her husband. Not in a respectful way. That's why he uses a different word in Ephesians 5.33, right? I see, therefore, let each of you see that she respects her husband. Of course, there's going to be times when spouses do not agree. This is when submission is hard, right? When there's a disagreement about what are we going to do. Maybe it's about the kids. Maybe it's about where to live. Maybe it's about the house. I don't know. Whatever it is. Some major decision about spending money. There's going to be times when we don't agree. Because we're different people. We have different priorities. We look at the world differently. That's just inevitable. That's when submission becomes A, more practical and be much harder, right? Not when there's agreement. Most of the time, thinking about my own relationship with Tracy, most of the time it's pretty easy, right? We agree about, hey, our kids should not watch 20 hours of TV a day. That's not hard to, that's not hard to submit, right? Tracy's, we're on agreement about that. Where it becomes difficult is where there's disagreement, and that's where this idea of submission comes into play. And in such cases, hierarchy, that is that one person has authority more than the other, should be a righteous way of resolving these impasses. Marriages should not have impasses. There should never be a time when a marriage relationship can't go forward because there's hierarchy, because there's an authority structure. There is somebody that has the final say. Of course, this falls apart when the husband does not rule well. Now that phrase is not used of husbands in this text. It's used in 1 Timothy 5.17, applying to elders who rule well. But I would suggest that that idea 
works very well for the marriage relationship. And when husbands are not ruling well, then we have problems, right? So let's talk about the husband for a minute. We'll come back to the wife at the end, but we're, we're sort of interweaving this as we go. Ephesians 5.25 Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by washing of water with the word, so that he might present to the church, uh, present to, the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own body, he who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes it and cherishes it just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. And then the summary at the end, 533, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see she respects her husband. Paul devotes much more text to the responsibility of the husband. The instruction for the wife is about the authority, right? Submission to authority of the husband. For the, for the husband, though, the instruction is about the responsibility. The model of Christ-like authority, as we've seen, is applied to a broad cross-section of relationships in the church. Elders and the church. We've talked about that before. It just in a general sense, in Ephesians 5, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. That begins at home. This idea of a responsible authority figure should begin with husbands and fathers. He's going to talk about kids in the next section. And in this model of Christ, we see another element of the authority slash responsibility model in Matthew eleven twenty nine. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. This is Jesus speaking. For I am gentle and lowly in heart and you will find rest for your souls. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. A yoke was a way of controlling oxen. It was the means of exerting authority over that animal. When Jesus says, my yoke is easy, he is saying, I'm in charge, right? I am in charge, but my authority over you is not hard. It's easy. He says it in 1 John 5, 3, that his authority is not burdensome. And so we ask this of the husbands, right? Husbands, your authority, the exercising of authority in the marriage relationship. And again, particularly in those times of disagreement, because that's when this really comes up. When you're agreeing, there's no need to submit. You're just all in agreement and everything's easy. It's when there's disagreement. Is your yoke, that is, your means of exerting control over the relationship, over the direction of the family, because a yoke was designed to get the ox to go where it needed to go, Husbands, that's the role of your authority, is to get the family to go the direction it needs to go. Is that easy and light? Or is it burdensome? Mark 10, 42. Jesus called them to him and said to them, You know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them. Their great, uh, the, their great ones exercise authority over them. It shall not be so among you. Whoever would be great among you must be your servant. Whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Oh, that was crazy. I don't know what happened there. 1 Peter 5, 2 through 3. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. Now, neither of these about the husband-wife relationship. That's the point. God's model of authority is always servant authority. Authority that takes responsibility for the well-being of those who are in submission. 
And he says it of the general idea of Gentiles who are lowering it over each other. Don't be that way. Husbands, who are the ones in charge of the marriage, don't be that way. You're not lording it over your wife. You're not doing it for shameful gain. That's what he talks about for elders. You're doing it to be a blessing to your wife. Well, you should be. Let's put it that way. You should be exercising authority to be a blessing to your spouse. The model of servant authority present throughout the entire strata of relationships in the church. I use strata. That, that's the different layers of earth in archaeology, right? You've got the strata. And in the church, that's a good example because there's different layers of authority in the church. Now, ultimately, it's Christ, right? He's the head of the church. That's the point in Ephesians 5. And then who's next in that layer of authority? Probably the elders, right? We think about the elders who are responsible for the flock in a particular location. Uh, you might put deacons next or maybe the, the, uh, the minister next. It's hard to say, but deacons are the minister in the general assembly. And then again, you're breaking this down into families, husbands, wives, or you could even break it down by gender, right? Men having spiritual leadership in the congregations and not women. And you go this sort of this layered effect throughout the church and at each layer there's submission and there's responsibility and there's authority and the one who is in charge the one who has authority in each layer is doing so for the benefit of the one below them right that's the goal it's in the marriage relationship it's a microcosm of the broader christian principle thus when people are behaving like Christ, I've got that in italicized because that's where this falls apart. When people are behaving like Christ, the primary objection to the marriage dynamic in Ephesians 5 is emotional or philosophical. There's no problem with a wife submitting to her husband if the husband and wife are acting the way they should. Because the wife is going to be respectful, as she should, and in the disagreements that they have. And the husband is doing his best to make sure that the wife is being blessed with his authority. If everybody's doing it that way, there's no disagreement, right? There's, there's harmony. There's, there's balance. And there's love. And there's mutual edification and mutual nourishment. It's when things fall apart. But if everyone's doing what they should, what's the, what's the drawback to this model? It's philosophical. As in... People don't want the wife to submit because it's demeaning, it's belittling, it's outdated, it's not the way we do things anymore. It perpetuates the patriarchy. You're like, what is the patriarchy? If you're in my class on Sunday morning, we're going to talk about that word. But it's this philosophical objection, right? It's not a practical objection because things run smoothly. If people are behaving the way they should, the husband caring for the wife, the wife Submitting to the husband, everything working together for the benefit, not just of each spouse, but to the benefit of the children, the benefit of the household overall. We looked at Proverbs 31, that was a couple months ago. That woman in Proverbs 31, she's not passive. And that was my main point about biblical womanhood. She was active. She was going to the market. She was taking care of the house. She was involved in the commerce of the family. She was involved in, in dealing with the servants in the household. She was doing all that stuff, and that was okay because the husband presumably is cherishing and nourishing and supporting her in the way that we should. The equating of the church to the marriage emphasizes that the dynamic of submission, that someone's going to be in charge and someone's going to be in submission, that dynamic should work for the benefit of all because that's the dynamic of the church. 
that Christ is in charge and we all submit to him. But he is in charge not in a way that benefits himself, but in a way that benefits all of us, right? So submitting to Christ is not hard. It's not a burden to submit to Christ because he gives everything for us. That's what makes it easy. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. What makes his yoke easy, his burden is light, is that he's the one taking on all the responsibility for the well-being of us, right? There is a burden, however, that is placed on women in this, a cross that they more often than men have to bear. So we'll return to women for just a minute here. 1 Peter 3, he says it more clearly. 1 Peter 3, 1. Wives, be subject to your own husbands so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives when they see you respectful. There's that word again back in Ephesians 5.33, right? Your respectful and pure conduct. The burden that is placed on the wife is submitting when the husband is not doing what they should do. When the husband, in this case, is not a believer, does not obey the word. He's, he doesn't want to do what God wants, but wives are still subject to their husbands. That's the difficulty. When one or more parties are not doing what they're supposed to do. Now, in this case, it's the husband. And I'm going to say more often, the wife is expected to bear this burden more often than men. Because men are supposed to be the ones in charge, right? They're supposed to one, be the ones in authority. They're supposed to be the ones taking direction and, and making the, the family go the way that it should go. And if they're not, women are not given license to then be in charge. That's a tough thing. But I will suggest that in 1 Peter, this is again a facet of all human relationships. 1 Peter 2.13, be subject to the Lord's sake, for the Lord's sake, to every human institution, whether it be the emperor supreme or governors sent by him to punish those who do evil and praise those who do good. That word every is doing a lot of work in the sentence. Be subject to every institution, which means the despotic tyrants, Right? which means the human institutions, the rulers of earth, who are not doing what they're supposed to do, who are not making life easy for the citizen. Like the wife who is supposed to submit, even to the husband who does not obey the word, we as people be subject to human institutions, even if they're horrible. Now, it doesn't mean sin. doesn't mean, oh, disobey God. doesn't mean that if the government tells you you can't worship, then you don't do that. We understand that, right? There's a hierarchy. We go back to that strata, that hierarchy. There are times when wives do not submit to their husbands because they're submitting to the authority of Christ, right? There's going to be times when that happens. But the idea that wives need to submit even to husbands who are not doing what they should is not unique to the marriage relationship. That is a facet of human relationships that God has instituted for everybody. 1 Peter 2.18, he says it of servants. Paul's going to talk about this later in Ephesians 6. Servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. Servants have to do it. We have to do it as citizens of a society. Wives have to do it in the marriage relationship. It is a burden. 
Which is why Jesus says, if anyone would follow me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. The idea of taking up the cross is it's hard. And it requires doing what? Denying yourself. This is a part of the marriage relationship that more often is more difficult for women. It's easy for me to say that. I'm a man, right? It's easy for me to get up here and, and speak about that. And so I'm going to offer a general invitation to women who may be struggling with this. Let's make sure that we have a grasp of this. That it, we, Because it's tough. It's a difficult thing. If you're struggling with this burden, let's, let's talk about it. And it doesn't have to be with me. There's plenty of women here who would be happy to study with you. Or maybe I'm intimidating. I don't know. Whatever it is. But let's address these things if we have difficulty, right? There are often times when spouses disagree about what to do, what decision to make, and the wife is still expected to submit. And again, this is a common part of all human interactions. The trade-off. Men, talking to you now. Men, as the bearers of responsibility, the bearers of authority, you carry more guilt when things go bad. Because you're the one that's supposed to be in charge. You're the one that's supposed to make sure things are going the way they should. So if things are falling apart, guess who gets most of the blame for that? It's you. Because this is, again, a common principle in all human interactions. That God is consistently holding those with more authority more guilty. Those of, you, uh, those of you who would desire to be teachers, right? Not many of you desire to be teachers. That's what James says. Why? Because teachers will be held to a stricter judgment. Those who want to be elders desire that office. Guess what? You're giving account not just for you, but for the rest of us. Sorry, guys. This is another facet of all human relationships. That men, you have more to be guilty of. And God in judgment will hold you accountable if your relationship with your wife falls apart. Now, we understand people make their own choices. Sometimes women are sinning, right? We understand that. But you are the one that was supposed to be responsible. Women have the extra burden of being expected to submit to a spouse who is not doing what they should. Men, you have the extra burden that God is going to judge you harshly because you have more authority. And so you need to be very careful how you're exercising that authority. Which is why Paul spends so much more time talking about the responsibility of the husbands. He devotes two verses to the women, devotes six verses to the husband, and then goes back to the end and talks about both. Husbands, your responsibility is heavy. With all relationships, God's model works wonderfully if people devote themselves to his standard, right? If women will submit and be respectful, if husbands will love their wives as themselves, the model works. God knows that. That's why he set it up that way. It's not like God is, is an idiot. We think, and this is the, the thing that gets me about the objection. That it's outdated, it doesn't make sense anymore, it's not the way we should do things anymore. Do we think God was just temporarily dumb? He wrote the New Testament, he inspired the New Testament, he just didn't know what he was talking about for those 20 years or 60 years that he was inspiring the New Testament? Is that, is that, what, ha is that what we think? That God just didn't know what he was talking about? Or do we think as the argument has to be, 
that Paul and Peter are just making stuff up. That has to be the argument, right? If this is not how God wants it to work, then Paul and Peter must have just been making stuff up. Here's the problem with that. If Paul and Peter are just making stuff up, what about all the other stuff that Paul and Peter said? How can we rely upon all the other stuff that we read about, about Paul and Peter? All the other things that they instructed the church in. If they made it up in this and it wasn't what God intended and, and God didn't really mean this, the whole thing comes into question. Either the entire New Testament is God's word or just throw the whole thing out. Once you go down the path of picking and choosing, it becomes very hard to justify other than I just like it that way. And so as Christians, we are supposed to figure out how to make this work in our lives. We'll end with Ephesians 4, 29 through 32. A general principle, again, in Ephesians that makes this easier. Because that's our responsibility, right? We have to make this work. Wives, submit to your husbands. Husband, love your wives as yourselves. We're, we're expected to make that work in our relationships, and our marriages. Here's how we can do it. Because inevitably, we're going to mess up. Verse 29, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such is good for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. Husbands and wives, very pointedly, very intentionally, I'm going to ask you, how do you talk about your spouse? We could think about this in two ways, actually. How do you talk about your spouse? And how do you talk to your spouse? Because if you're bad-mouthing your spouse all the time, even when you're not around them, right, you're just talking bad about them all the time, you're degrading your marriage. You're corrupting your marriage. And if you're thinking about how we talk to our spouses, if you're always putting them down, if you're always saying negative things, if you only talk about the stuff that goes wrong, if you keep bringing stuff up over and over and over and over, that's not building up. You are destroying your marriage. And again, this is a general principle for everybody that we be thinking about our words that give grace. That in my relationship with my spouse, I'm not just bringing up their flaws all the time because I'm giving them grace. I'm not just being negative all the time because I want to encourage them. That I'm not speaking bad about them to other people because I want people to know that I love my wife. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you are sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. How often do you slander your spouse? Can I say this plainly? If you're always, if you're, not always, if you're slandering your spouse, you're sinning. And who's going to hold you accountable for that? Maybe not your spouse, but God will for sure. What about anger and wrath and bitterness? Do you have some anger and wrath and bitterness to your spouse? Yeah, spouses make mistakes. Spouses sin because they're human, like all of us. We, we all sin. But are you holding on to the bitterness? A lot of marriages fail because people cannot let go of their bitterness. Something that somebody did. Maybe it was really bad. Maybe it was serious. But the marriage can survive if what? Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you.
like, again, every relationship, your marriage relationship can only survive if you are willing to forgive. Because your spouse will mess things up. Wives, you're going to do the wrong thing. Husbands, you're going to do the wrong thing. That's going to happen. I can say that with 100% confidence. It's going to be different in each circumstance. But the one thing that is common in all relationships is that you have things you need to let go of. You have things you need to forgive. The marriage relationships works wonderfully. The way that God designed it. Wives submitting and respecting their husbands. Husbands loving their wives as themselves. Sacrificing for them. That works great when we're righteous. It can still work if we're unrighteous. If we make mistakes. If we're not doing what we should. It can still work when there's forgiveness. When there's grace. When we show mercy to one another. I want to conclude with two points. Husbands. It grieves the Holy Spirit when you do not love your wives as Christ loved the church. It makes him so sad when we don't do that. When we're not loving our wives the way we should, that grieves the Holy Spirit. Wives, when you do not submit to your husbands as Christ, as, as the church submits to Christ... It grieves the Holy Spirit, the part of God that lives in us, is grieved when we do not follow these instructions. It will destroy your marriage, that's true, but it will ultimately separate you from God if we are not willing to treat our spouses the way that God wants and so we offer the invitation. You have grieved the Holy Spirit. Maybe not in your marriage. Many of you aren't married. So you didn't do it in your marriage. I know that. But you have grieved him. Because of your sin. I don't know what it is. I don't know what exactly you've done. I know you got stuff though. He wants to forgive you for that. Doesn't he? He wants to forgive you for that. As husbands and wives, we should want to forgive our spouses. He wants to forgive you. We're going to sing only a step in just a minute because that's all it takes for his forgiveness to make that step toward him, to submit to his will, to confess that we've done wrong. Might I suggest that's the same way it works in marriage? If you've done something wrong in your marriage, confess it to your spouse. If you've done something wrong in your marriage, Repent of that. Try not to do it again. Admit that it was wrong. But ultimately, we're thinking about this toward God, right? That I've sinned. I've committed these mistakes. I've done wrong things. I'm coming to him. I'm asking for forgiveness. And I'm extending that forgiveness to others. 